Welcome to episode 133 of the Thunder Underground podcast. My name is Trent. This is Jason. And this week, we've got another fine guest because we've got Doc Coyle. That's right. God forbid um, if any of you guys were ever familiar with the whole new wave of American heavy metal in the early and mid-2000s, you're going to know God forbid. And Doc Coyle was in the middle of it. On top of that, he's got a million crazy awesome things going on, so... You know, we had to snag him for the podcast. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get into that with him, talk a little more about his stuff here in a minute. But first, uh, we're going to play some music and going to mention Rammstein. That's right. I went to the Rammstein show in Dallas this past, past Thursday. Yeah. Right at the end of June. And it was spectacular. I'm I mean, sure. It I don't was. know what else to really say than that because I mean I've talked about before how if anyone ever asks me what's the best show you ever seen, I usually say that. And I mean, there's different ways to gauge what's the best thing you've ever seen, you know. Yeah. And I, them and Iron Maiden's like pretty much even. Iron Maiden obviously is going to win song wise, but Rammstein's going to beat everybody stage wise. And the thing about both those two bands is. The stage production and the music is so high level that it makes it a complete experience. It's not like seeing Motley Crue or something where the music drags it down. Yeah, you know the they, stage. They've got to up the show because yeah. they're you yeah. know they're well their right. singer sucks balls, right. so they got to make over that. Or like Rob Zombie so, a long time ago. You know yes, Rob Zombie's yeah. good now, but yeah, there was a time where his his performance was a little lacking but yes it was i've always loved him so i'm not saying anything negative but anyway well you know as opposed to the last time you saw him it's a i compare it neck or what do you think yeah i actually kind of like the the last one maybe a little bit better okay you know the stage show maybe it's a little cooler this one was more it's the thing they were doing this past year i saw the videos from like chicago open air and a couple uh European things they did, and it was still that same stage show where it's all industrialized looking, and mm-hmm. there's like fire almost at all times. Not at all times, but you know, every single song yes. has mass amounts of fire and all kinds of stuff going on. But it seemed like that time I saw them, I think it was 2012 when they did the short arena tour in America, it seemed like it had more stuff going on, a little more diversity. Mm-hmm. But they could do more, too, because they had the arena. They used the whole arena. They came down through the crowd, had a bridge that went over. Which is awesome. The whole, you know, middle of the crowd and all this crazy great. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Sorry, I'm keep... But that's... I, I love that idea. Yeah. And those pictures from that was awesome. Well, here's my thing is, you know, everybody that went to that show, all the stuff on Facebook, they always just show the singer with the wings and the flame. I mean, okay, yes, we've seen a million pictures of that. That's cool. Was there anything else, you know, that stood out? No. And I mean, well, he's been doing that a while, too. Okay. Like, he did that the last time I saw him. Okay. But the last time he's just standing on the stage doing it, this time it raises up and mm-hmm. he is pulled up by cables, I guess. I see. But there was a point, I'm trying to remember, I can't remember which song it was, but he, you know, there's a couple of times he brought out this, like, bow and arrow looking thing. And one time he just spun it around and, like, fire's flying off it. But then another time, like... Towards the like the end of the song, he shot. He shot the bow, you know, which I think it was just. It looked like he shot it, but then 
sparks and fire flew across the whole top of the crowd. Wow. And like went out behind, clear to the back. We've been to the Starplex. Yeah. It's like, it's one of those amphitheaters where the whole uh, seating area is covered by a covering and then the lawn area is open. It's but open. this fire went through the whole covering and then, you know, like snapped and stuff and then flew back at the stage and then exploded on the stage. You know, but you, you know, you you weren't really paying attention beforehand, but after that happened, you look up, you see there's a couple cables going across there. So there you go, yeah. So that's how they pulled that off. Yeah. But it's still you have to really look for it. So it's just, <laughs> it's really well done, just like everything else they did. Yeah. They he had the thing yeah. on with the like some kind of weird fat suit, and then he pulled it off, and it has all these canisters around him, where it looks kind of like you know when you see a guy in a movie that straps the bombs around him. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the song, it all just starts exploding, you know, just right there on him. It's just like, it looks, I don't know how they do it. If he's obviously he has on fireproof stuff or it's oh, not really fire, to. but it, yeah. it was actually snapping and exploding. And it, Jesus Christ. each one did it. And then at the end, it just blew. It looked like the whole thing blew up. You just see a flash of fire and then it goes black and he disappears for a minute. And you imagine how hot that motherfucker must be on every show. Yeah. Well, all of them, because. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing they'll I wanted to talk lo- about. They probably lose like yeah. 40 pounds every night. I yeah. need to fucking be on that tour. Yeah. That's why they all look like, you know, they can all fight six of them to beat your ass. Yeah, no shit. Even the little, you know, skinny uh, keyboards could kick our ass probably. <laughs> but like, yeah, like I'm in the, I was in the 10th row behind the pit. Mm-hmm. So that's probably equivalent like 15th row. Yeah. I don't know, because the pit there is not that big. And by the third song, I was... There was sweat running down my head. Really? Yeah, and down my face. Jeez. I kept wiping it off, and that that lasted the whole time. Like it, it wasn't that bad. Like earlier in the the night, hell yeah, I played, and you know they had a good crowd in mm-hmm. there, but it wasn't completely packed full. A lot of people were hanging out outside, and then once Romstein was getting ready to go on, the place like completely filled up, and mm-hmm. it got a little bit more hot because of people, but mm-hmm. it still there was a nice, nice cool night. But yeah, as soon as they started like that, just yeah. The constant fire just never let up, so you're just like hotter than shit. But well, it's so good you don't think about it. Yeah. Well, what about you know the one thing we probably need to mention the music. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, what was it on your end? I mean, you know, was it a set that you enjoyed, or I mean, you're you're the big Romstein fan. I'm not really so. You know, talk about that angle a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they played. I've been, you know, they're one of those bands like Iron Maiden when they tour on a new album, they'll make it heavy on that album. Yeah. But they haven't done that in a while because they haven't released a new album in quite a while. I see. But, so both times I've seen them, it's been kind of like a hit set, yeah. if you want to call it hits for them. You know, obviously in America, they only really had one hit, but mm. they have all the songs that people know and love, like Angle, and I guess that's how you say that, Angel in German, and then Kind Lust and Itchville and all that great stuff. And then... You know, they played pretty much everything I like. Mind Tells, probably one of my favorite songs. They didn't play it, but they played it last time I saw them. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good set. If you've never seen Romstein, you know, and you're seeing him this time around, you're gonna love what you see. Nice, basically. Nice. And I think I was gonna point out something. Oh yeah, they played Stripped, the Depeche Mode song. Okay. But they had recorded this. I was just kind of surprised when I'd saw it on the set list before that. It came out. A few years ago, they released it on, they released one of those rare tracks, you know, 96 to 2012 or something like that. 
and it was on there, and it's, you know, one of the only songs that he sings in English, and they played that, and that's how the show ended before the encore, and, but yeah, other than that, it was all pretty much exactly what you expect. Awesome. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I'm going to have to get on the YouTubes. Yeah. Check some more stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's cool, like, you know, part of the show is always the, there's always something with the singer and the keyboardist, like, he treats him like... Uh, he's not yeah. important you know yep. even though he is because that's a third of their sound you know <laughs> but um but yeah there was another one of the other things they did that was kind of cool was he came down and you know when he had the whatever you call it the ball gag thing on and you know, you know back when i saw him in 2012 he had him like a gimp suit you know at one point but this time he just had the ball gag and he drags him down and throws him into this huge steel container looks like a trough or something. And then, you know, just like throws him in there and then, you know, just starts motioning the crowd or something. Then he crawls up on this thing and it lifts him up on one of the the risers the guitarist came down on. And he gets like probably 15, 20 feet above it, you know, in the air. And then he has this big bucket and then like drops a something in it to set it on fire and then just flips it over and all this like fire and sparks and flames start coming out going into the bucket and it starts flashing and exploding and then he's like laughing and then he goes and looks you know and like up oh, he's gone too bad you know and then walks off and then like it all starts flashing again and then it explodes into like sparks and glitter and shit and then <laughs> the lord the, the keyboardist steps out with the suit on that's all glitter so he just like it turned him to whatever <laughs> and he gets up there and does his thing and even at the end of the show when they all come up you know, when they end their shows, they walk up to the front yeah. and the five of them stand there mm-hmm. and then they'll bow. The first time they did that before the encore, yeah. you know, he's like kind of standing by the keyboard and like looking like, should I go? And then like steps back and doesn't go. <laughs> like, so he just plays it up the whole time. Like, oh, I'm not supposed to be down there. I'm not cool enough. I don't know. <laughs> That's crazy. Cause you remember, I remember the, the family values home video. Yeah, where he took the guy and and like unzipped the back of his pants because the ass of his pants had a zipper. Yeah, so he unzipped it and he pulled out this big fake cock and started coming all over him and stuff. Yeah, I mean Jesus, I saw that show too. Yeah, goddamn Germans, man. <laughs> what do you do? I, what What do you do? That's just way over my head. I saw yeah, and I saw Josh from Fist of Rage there, and that's the type of thing that he loves. He, according to yeah, you. he's all about that. And we know that, <laughs> right? And that's not even an insult. He's he's probably listening to this right now, loving it. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you know. Yeah. But I didn't comment on hell. Yeah, we've talked before. I try every time. I try to get into it, but yeah, it just same here. They put on a. They sounded great. Chad Gray's great at getting the crowd into it. He's a good front man, but there's just. Something about the music that just never pulls me in as much as it should. I have literally every every album they ever put out, I give it a spin. Yeah. I give it a chance and I just it's it doesn't suck, I just can't get into it. Yeah. Yeah, it's sorry how I've always been. Yeah. Yeah. But I saw a video I think it was the next day that I remember if it was Hell Yeah or Vinnie Paul posted. I don't think Vinnie Paul doesn't have a Facebook, does he? I think so. It's probably Hell Yeah. But it was backstage after the show. And it was Till Lindemann from Rammstein with um, Vinnie Paul and a couple other guys from Hell Yeah. Nice. 
doing shots. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. There you go. But he had brought him, like, I think it was French tequila or something. And French tequila. Yeah, I think son of a bitch. I think he said it was from France or something is what I heard him say. Yeah. Nice. Okay. <laughs> okay. That, that, that exists. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> well, man, good. That's awesome. Glad you had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. So, see, you know, I've told you, I'll tell anybody else, see him, even if you're not a fan of the music or you're just kind of like, eh, it's still worth going to check Gotta out. I've seen him once. Yeah. Gotcha. We need to play some music. I think so. I think it's time. Yeah, we're gonna play Iron Knot. It's a band out of California that we played before, and we've actually had Eric from Iron Knot on this show. Yes, episode ninety-two, and that's a good one. He talks about all this other ba- this band and all his other bands and stuff he's been a part of. So go back and check that out. They have a new EP out called Six Stupid Lies, and this song is called When the Sun Is Gone. <laughs> Free. 
When the Sun is Gone, brand new music from Ironot from their brand new EP, Six Stupid Lies. They've got some previous music as well that we've yes. talked about. Like I said, we had him on episode 92. This band, all three of these songs are great. Yes. And this band continually has put out great stuff. Yeah. I'm a fan. I know you are. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, chunky, riffy, fucking, you know, organic raw rock and roll i mean this is this is what it is yeah and six stupid lies it's great you know this when the sun is gone it's a badass song they've got a song on there called world of shit which is i don't know how they knew but it's about you know my marriage <laughs> the past what seven six seven years your ex-marriage ex-marriage yeah i mean it's done <laughs> and over with thank thank the fuck christ but they knew about all that um but all joking aside these guys rule uh, you know, go back and listen to the episode where we had Eric on. Um, I mean, we can't we can't champion these guys enough. Yeah, that's available on their Bandcamp. To search Iron Knot, that's I R O N A U T. Look them up on Bandcamp. You can buy that thing for three bucks. I saw a thing where it said you could buy their back catalog disc- discography for five bucks. Yeah. It's an amazing deal. Five bucks. I mean, yeah. what else are you gonna do? Yeah, do it. Especially when it's great music. That's right. Support it. Yeah. And like you said, Eric was on here episode 92. He was also in Gypsy Hawk. He talks about all that yep. stuff. So get back there, check that out. Well, something else you need to check out. Dot Coil. Yes. Vegas Nerve and Bad Wolves. Bad Wolves. These are the two current things he's got going on musically. Like you mentioned at the beginning of this, he's, got a, he's always got a lot of things going on. Yeah. He's also got a podcast that he does now, which is great. The X-Man podcast. Yeah. Check it out. And it's a cool idea, cool concept where he pretty much just interviews guys that are ex-members of bands. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of people out there like that, so it's not hard to find. Yeah, but it's, it's like, just a lot of his friends and stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, because technically, you know, he is, even though yeah. it's not like, God forbid, went on without him, but he's an ex-member of a band because they're not together. Yeah. So... That's a cool idea, and I've listened to several of them and love what I've heard. Yes, definitely. Um, he, he's written songs for Body Count. I yeah. mean, he, he's he's written for VH1.com. I mean, this guy's done everything. Uh, so, you know, the insight and the stories are invaluable. Yeah. So it was a great conversation. Yeah, get on YouTube, Spotify, their Facebooks, all that stuff to check out Vegas Nerve and Bad Wolves. Yes. Both are great. You know, they have a little bit. Different sound between the two. Vegas Nerve has a little more of a straight-ahead rock feel than what you'd be used to if you know him from God Forbid. Yeah. And Bad Wolves is more more metal. And Bad Wolves, of course, features Tommy Vex, who's filling in on Five Finger Death Punch right now. That's right. So, I mean, the Bad Wolves name is out there, and like he talks about coming up in this interview, you know, he said it feels like something's, what's the right word, swelling up, you know, like this yep. thing's getting ready to... Yep. To hit, so be on the lookout. Bad Wolves should be blowing up. That's my guess, too, because they're a good band. Definitely. Um, and, you know, also, you know, we can't not mention God Forbid. Uh, you know, you guys need to go check them out. If you if you love Killswitch Engage, Shadows Fall, Lamb of God, go check out God Forbid. Um, I remember we went to see them. We went to see, I think, OzFest 2004 in Kansas City. They were a standout for me, you yeah. know. Um, Doc got to fill in for Mark Morton. Uh, 
in Lamb of God on uh, the Metallica tour seven, eight years ago. Saw him on that. So, I mean... You saw you know, him twice on that, right? I saw him twice because we went to see Oklahoma... We went to see them in Oklahoma City, just their headlining show. And then the next night, they were in Dallas opening for Metallica. And, I mean, that was just... That was awesome. And remember, we went to see... Uh, were they at the Chameleon Room? Yeah, that wasn't that long. I mean, well, yeah. it's long ago now, but I mean... With, like, Shadows Fall, I think, right? Four or five years. I think that was two different shows. Oh, okay. Never mind. I'm sorry. Never mind. Well, maybe you're right. Well... I know we met him at that show. I got a picture with him. Yeah. But in any case, I mean, just, you know, you know, the breadth of, of this guy and what he's doing, it just, it just spans everywhere. Uh, so really, you know, get into whatever he's got going on. You, you won't be sorry. Definitely. So let's just get into this. Here's Doc Coyle. You know, it's been a crazy couple of days, man. I, uh, there was a fire in the apartment upstairs, and then their sprinklers leaked. And so, luckily, none of our stuff got screwed up um, or messed up. But um, we were moving to another apartment in the building, so it's just like you know, like you know, usually when you move, you know, you <laughs> it's not like one day you're just chilling. Next thing is like, oh, we gotta hire movers and we gotta call insurance and. <laughs> Right. So fucking so like um, with Vegas Nerve, uh, one of my bands, we like we released a video on Monday, and then we have these shows coming up. So I was like about to get in promo mode, and then all this shit happened where I, you know like I put the video out and I've barely been able to do anything to promote it. So I'm just kind of like, so I got like these shows coming up. We got the video. I got Bad Wolves shit going on. It's a whole it's a whole mess. So well, were so, were you home at the time of the fire? Did they make you evacuate or anything? So I, um, I have a chiropractor that I go to a couple times a week, and it's walking distance. So I, I walk to that, and then on the way back, I had to run out errands. And I saw the, a fire alarm, but this building, the fire alarm goes off all the time, like false alarm. So I didn't think anything of it. <laughs> and so I went and got my car, left, and, I, and I got a call from the building. So it is what it is, you know. Life, life happens. Yeah, right. definitely. <laughs> We're not moving because of that. You're already moving, right? Is what you meant. Yeah, but we're just moving to another apartment oh, in the okay. building. So it's just, it's just, it was easier than that. Otherwise, we'd have to stay in a hotel for like three weeks, and then they put all our stuff in storage. So it would just be a, you know, it's, it's just easier just to go to another apartment. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, speaking of Vegas Nerve, you live in LA, and this <clears throat> band was started in Jersey. So, like, how's that? How's that work out for you? Is it complicated, or is it easy in this digital age? It's complicated. It's, um, you know, it's, you know, that band really started. And even when I lived on the East Coast, it was still kind of difficult because I lived in North Jersey and as well as my drummer, my guitar player lived in New York City and the uh, singer and bass player lived in Pennsylvania, but kind of in the middle of nowhere. So even when I lived there, it was still kind of a production for us to get together. Usually we would meet to rehearse, we'd meet in like Philadelphia, which was kind of the closest. So it'd be like an all day affair to like meet up with the three of us. And then we go down there and kind of, you know, we get, you know, maybe three hours of rehearsal in. So it was, it's, 
in many ways, it's always been kind of long distance, but at least before, I could just get in a car, and even if it's going to be an all-day thing, we could get together, we'll go, you know, work on stuff with the acoustics, work on some stuff. So now it's just, you know, you add that extra layer of kind of band bureaucracy, where it's like, just to make little decisions, it's, it's just things, it, it's, it's more difficult, and I think it's also, sometimes it's, it's harder to get because you know, a lot of times bands, and I think just projects in general, re- rely on enthusiasm. And sometimes when you have that distance, you're not around each other all the time, it's harder to be enthusiastic. So you have to, I have to constantly kind of pump everyone up and get, you know, even myself sometimes, like, you know, the things have kind of been cold with the band because I've been busy and our guys have been busy with their other projects. And now we're trying to, like, restart the engine. And it's it, it takes a lot of kind of mental and emotional energy to get people excited about something when it's been quiet, especially when you're not already like this established act with all these fans. Well, how do you prepare for shows like that? Do you, are you going to like fly out there ahead of time to rehearse? Yeah, but this thing, here's the thing about this band. It's, you know, probably the best chemistry I've ever experienced with any band where the first time we ever rehearsed was all the five members because we kind of found each guy kind of one at a time. So it was just me and the singer, and then it was me and the singer and the drummer, and then we kind of we. So when we finally got the five people. It was like we. I was like, we could play a show tomorrow, you know. And then when we did our first little tour out here in January after we released the EP, we we rehearsed for two days. And it's like the you know the first show. I mean, you, the, I, there were like no mistakes. Like it, it's pretty crazy how tight this band is, and it's you know, and it is more like on the rock side of things, but it is intricate. And there's a lot of details. But the thing is, like, my drummer is a pro drummer. Like he's like one of those guys you call, and he shows up and he nails the gig. My guitar player is a pro guitar player. Like these guys are high-level musicians we have people of that caliber they prepare and everyone does the work so that when you when it's time to do the gig you know like we're you know we're we're coming out there to do some shows on the east coast we're gonna rehearse one day and we're gonna go because because it's just the band is you know at the level and now we know we can do it before we had we've only done one live show so it was kind of like all right are we gonna be good is the band gonna suck well, you know you have no idea and you just kind of go out there and do it. And then our singer, Robbie, who probably has the least amount of live experience, just nailed it. You know, the guy just has a great voice. His pitch is incredible. And he's, a, you know, really, you know, interesting performer. So it's, you know, it's, uh, I, I have no worries. <laughs> Thankfully, you know, we can, we can do that. <laughs> well, uh, you know, you talk about the, the chemistry. I mean, d- did you contact these guys hoping and thinking that they had what it took? Or did you just kind of hope, man, I hope this goes good. And you just kind of got lucky. No, I mean, every, everyone essentially proved themselves. So the singer, I found him through a mutual friend uh, and saw his YouTube videos where he did cover songs and a couple originals, and I was just like, this dude's voice is incredible. So we, we stayed in touch, and then I was working on another project, and that fell apart, had all this leftover material, and I, I sent it to him, and he started recording on it. And so we kind of did that for a while, working on songs, and then we were like, should we like record this and you know make a record? And I was like, nah, man, I think we should put a band together and like make like a real thing instead of just like two guys making a project. So we kind of 
you know, I was at the time I was teaching at School of Rock uh, Music School in New Jersey, and the guy that got me the job was our soon-to-be drummer. We tried out another drummer, and he was the second guy we tried out, and it was just like totally clicked, personalities clicked, great guy, liked the music, and then the uh, our current bass player is our singer's best friend. And he's a he went to music school, just brilliant guy all, all around. And he tried out on guitar at first and just totally didn't click. And we asked him if he'd be interested in playing bass, and he said he was. And he just nailed the same same thing. Even though he doesn't have a lot of background as like a professional in terms of playing with other bands, he's just someone who is extremely skilled and takes it really seriously. So. You, you work on stuff, and he shows up, and he has such a musical ear. And he's also very talented um, production-wise and, like, knows a lot of, like, he does a lot of, all, almost all the electronic-sounding stuff on the record. He did all that stuff, like, with all the intros uh, to, to the record. And then our guitar player, we actually did kind of a wide search. Like, we kind of, that's when we went public with the band, and we put out, uh, like, a sampler of, like, three or four little samples of music, and... I mean, we got probably 50, 100 people submit, and then we held uh, auditions in New Jersey, and that's how we found our, our, our guitar player, who I was, I knew I was friends with him before, but um, he's in another band called Mother, like a straightforward kind of blues rock band, um, but he really liked what we did, and he just, it's that, it's that thing, man, you get someone in the room, and he just does certain things and that the hair goes up on your, on your arm and that it just, it vibes, yeah. you know, and we had some good people try out, but and it kind of, you know, it's not convenient for us that he's in another band that is pretty serious. So there, that's his kind of main thing. And we know that, you know, but the chemistry is so potent that we're like, we're just okay with that, you know, because it's just, you can't just plug someone in and it's going to be the same. It's not going to be the same. You know, yeah. and, and everyone added, even though we, we, me and the singer pretty much had the music written before everyone joined, everyone added that thing that makes it a band and not just a, a recording, you know, and, you know, we recorded in a room together and like really wanted to capture that sound of the, of the band, you know. Well, I watched the new video and it's got a lot of live footage. Was this something that you guys had input and how you wanted to put together? Did you put all that in the hands of the director? So the, the director, Carlos um, Almonte, he was one of the guys that uh, contributed to the Kickstarter. So I didn't know him. He was just a follower follower of mine. Um, and he that's what he does full time. He actually does a lot of um, editing for, uh, for film and television. And he has directed some videos. And he reached out to me about you know, hey, would you guys be interested in doing a video? And he actually wanted to do it for another song. And he had a different concept. But we had this six-show West Coast California run booked. And my idea, so essentially the song Promised Me the World, like blew up at Spotify. Ended up getting on some playlists. It has like 250,000 listens on Spotify. Um, so I was like, all right, there's some momentum behind this song. It's the kind of the heaviest kind of rocking his track on the album. And I think that, you know, has a certain appeal to, um, you know, certain aspects of the kind of hard rock and metal community. Um, so I was like, you know what, let's, we're doing these shows. Let's just do a guerrilla style, just come out, shoot some shows and just do like a live energy style video. So he just came out and he shot 
you know, I think five out of the six shows with him. I think he had one other, one other person maybe to get some more coverage on two other shows. But that was the idea. But he took kind of my, like, rinky-dink DIY idea and turned it into a really compelling visual uh, music video. Like, like you know, we, I'm not going to tell you what we spent, but he <laughs> hooked us up. Like it was not, we did not spend a buttload, and he he did a a very lot with the very little, and kind of tells you how how talented he is. Well, it's been, I mean, when you started Vegas Nerve, it's been what probably twenty years since you had really started a band from the ground up. So yeah. was that was it a daunting thing after having already been in a you know successful band, or how did you look at it? Well, I think there's a lot of other challenges. I mean. So I, in addition to Vegas Nerve, I was also starting this cover band called uh, Rebel Noise Group, which was previously called uh, Paradise City. So that was kind of, like those two situations arose around the same time. And I'm like you said, I the last time I started a band, I was in high school. And it's like back then, you don't even really start it. You kind of just like stumble into people <laughs> yeah. and then start playing with them. And then you find out about another guy and that person. It's it's very there's very little kind of uh, thought or big planning, you know. Um, so yeah, so despite all my experience in the music industry, I hadn't put a band together. And, and I think the main difference is when you're 32 years old as opposed to 22 years old, the people that you're going to be talking to, they're just at a different stage in their life. So so. Finding musicians that can, you know, gig and have free time and they can rehearse. It's just, you know, you're looking for certain types of people and it's and it's not easier, you know, um, especially depending on 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 where you are. So, I mean, with Vegas Nerve, I'm the oldest guy in the band, you know, pretty by far, you know, by like four or five years. Um, so it's, um, you know, for me, it was just like. I don't know how to do this stuff. So you just go and you figure it out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, and, you know, and, and the truth is it's a different world. You know, we have, we have different ways of communicating with people. We have different ways of, you know, like with the guitar player search, you know, we, I made a, put a little sample on a SoundCloud, wrote out, did a little write-up, you know, and sent it in a bunch of metal websites, picked it up, and it kind of spread on its own. Um, you know, and that's how things go now, you know, and, and it's, it's just a completely different methodology, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm, you know, it, it was one thing being in a band that's established and has a solid lineup and you're, you know, trying to figure out all the things that, that get you to a place of success, but, you know, starting from the ground up and, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's humbling, you know, but I, it was fun, you know, it's kind of just like, you know, doing it, not doing it for money, not doing it for to be important. It was really just because we kind of believed in in what we were doing musically, and and, and just as a collection of human beings, it was just a really great group of people to be around. Well, where do you look for this to go after you guys play shows? Because it'll be about a year since you put out the EP. You're going to look to do more music in the 2018. Yeah. Yeah, we're working on new stuff right now. Um, it's just been kind of slow going. Uh, Ravi, our singer, and Aiden, our bass player, they have another project called Cosm, and they just released an EP that they've been working on for a while. And then um, Mo, our drummer, uh, tours with this um, famous uh, keyboard player named John Ginty. 
Junior who plays with like uh, uh, the Dixie Chicks, and he's like kind of known in like these kind of jazz circles and kind of you know. And then our guitar player said he's in the band Mother, which is picked up new management. So everyone's been really busy. So we, we've been kind of working on music piecemeal here and there. Um, and then now with me with Bad Wolves, my other band, that band is about to get signed and get really busy. So more likely, what's going to happen is. You know, we're going to do these shows, you know, we put out this video, and then while I'm busy, we're kind of just going to start working on material to try and put enough material together to make a full-length record. You know, so hopefully by the time Bad Wolves is done, then we can kind of focus on that. But this, but with this band has been very much, you know, we're, we're never looking too far past our own nose. It's really just about meeting these kind of very simple uh small goals that are, you know, for, you know, if we were all in the same place, playing a couple shows wouldn't be a big goal, but for a band where everyone's spread out, it does take a lot of effort to kind of make these things happen. So we'll, we'll see, you know, it's, it's very much, um, my goal really was just to put out a record and do some shows. That was it. So, you know, uh, you know, um, there was some label interest, but, um, no one was really ready to bite, um, Bite because before we put the record out, we weren't a live band, we weren't really playing. People saw that as long distance, they don't really take it seriously if you're not out there and show. So that's part of the reason why we did a live video, you know, because so that people in the industry could see, no, they're a real band, we're not just a recording, we're not just a computer band, you know. Well, uh, you know, that was kind of the next kind of place we wanted to go, uh, was Bad Wolves. Uh, talk about how that came out and uh, came about, and what's going on with that. So I moved. It's really interesting because I I moved to Los Angeles in the summer of 2014, and my car broke down uh, twice. The transmission. I broke. I bought this used car, and I got stranded in Denver, Colorado, and I was trying to figure out how to get to LA, and Devil Driver ended up giving me a ride on their tour bus. They were on tour with Whitechapel and they were going in that direction. So I hit them up and so it's like kind of weird because that's very much tied to like me getting to LA and, and then being an LA, LA based band. And not too long after that, John Berklin quit Devil Driver, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and he pretty much started working on the music that at first the band was called Eye of Tongues. Um, but in the, with uh, Devil Drivers at the time, guitar tech Max Karen, um, and so they were working on material, um, and I was kind of just on the outside looking in, just kind of hearing all the demos, and it was crazy. Like you know, Max, like so people don't a lot of people don't know who this guy is. He actually play, plays in Once Human, the band with uh, Logan Mater, oh, yeah, yeah. but you know, just a brilliant, brilliant guy. Like I think he's. In the future, as things go on, he's going to become very, very well known. But um, he and John have been working on this music for three years, pretty much since I moved to LA. And you know, there's all these, you know, there were they had different singer ideas and different. It kind of went in all these directions, and things pretty much started to come together um, when Tommy Vex started singing on it because they kind of they simplified the structures. You know, cause the music at first was very technical, very proggy, very kind of that 
prog gent kind of kind of world, like like very much focused on instrumentation. And with Tommy brought in, we kind of found the focus of the band to be a little more straightforward, a little more focused on the vocals and the melody and the grooves. Um, and you know, I was touring with a band called Maytal uh, with a famous YouTube drummer, Maytal Cohen. We went out with uh, Queensryche uh, a little over a year ago, like a year and a half ago, and that band lost its singer, and I was I just had free time. So I was like, you know, John asked me if I wanted to play with the band, and I didn't have anything going on, and I, and I really loved the stuff I was hearing. I really, I really thought, from a metal standpoint, it was something that was fresh and ahead of the curve. Like, like I, so I didn't write any of the, the, the battle stuff. You know, I kind of came on as it was going, and uh, Chris, our other guitar player, had been playing with them, even though he wasn't part of the writing process either. Um, so... It was this thing where it was just, because Max was busy with Once Human, so he wasn't going to be like a regular member of the band, but he was going to be kind of like a writing member, like kind of like behind the scenes. Um, so essentially it was like me and John working on stuff. Then we got Chris in, and, we, and then, you know, so there was the three of us. Then we started auditioning bass players, and we couldn't find bass players for a while. So it, it was this really slow process. But we, uh, actually, it's really funny is the way our bass player got in the band, which is Kyle Conkeel, who's in Vimic, was the we asked him to be in the band a while before, but he, he couldn't do it. And the day we were shooting our music video, he called me up just to shoot the shit. And he's like, he's like, yeah, if you know anything, anything going on, man, I'm just kind of, you know, not much happening with Vimic right now. I'm like, we still need a bass player. So he came down there that day and gotten in the music video and took a band photo, <laughs> you know, and that's how he ended up in the band before he ever even played with the actual band. So then we got him in and then, you know, Tommy kind of, you know, we, and so then we finally got, got together and, um, and then that video dropped and then kind of like it's been, you know, nonstop since then. I mean, it's, it's you know, a bunch of label offers, management uh, tour ideas, you know, um, and then the, the videos like kill it on YouTube. Like we're doing, you know, five, 10,000 views a day. Nice. Um, so it's, and that's, you know, no label, no, we're not spending any money on advertising. It's, it's very much an, a natural thing. So it's, uh, that band, it's more, I'm just going with the flow, you know, and there's, I'm kind of, I don't run the band. I'm not the meet the lead guy. I'm kind of like a peripheral character, trying to interpret what's on the record and really bring a great live show and bring professionalism. And, and obviously my name being part of it has helped the uh, notoriety out of the gate because um, there is a, a lot of guys in the band that have a lot of experience and have a name. So it's, um, it's interesting, man, but it's, it's cool. I'm really excited to actually see what, see what happens, but it's, it's a, there's a lot going on that I can't mention as of yet, but I will say that the momentum it's probably, there's probably more momentum and heat on this than maybe even, God forbid, you know. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities for this band, and I think it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be cool when the record's done, because I think it's really going to stand out yeah. from what's, you know, because I think, you know, you, you have that whole gent kind of, that scene, which is really cool, but this band takes an angle on that that I think is actually much more palatable 
to like your average metalhead or even like someone who's into more rock. Like it, I don't know. It's a, it's it's, it's like a, a it's a it's a different spin on it. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I think obviously a lot of diehard metal fans will come and check this out because of who's in the band. But do you think? With Tommy getting that fill-in spot with Five Finger Death Punch, that that's going to help bring in more of those mainstream rock fans. Yeah, I mean, out. he's you know his kind of profile and his celebrity is growing from this in really kind of exponential ways. Um, you know, we, it'll definitely be a tremendous launching pad for the, for this, and you know because of that connection. You know, there's a good chance we're going to be doing a lot of touring with Five Finger Death Punch. Um, so that connection is, is, is really strong. And that's and not for nothing. That is, you know, um, you know, I know it's one of those bands a lot of elitists try and shit on and hate on. But in terms of success, you know, um, it's, it's either, you know, between them, Avenged, Volby, that's like the gold standard of where we all are trying to get to. Um, yeah as far as success and and spreading the word and there you know so it's like the way i look at it is um you know the, the metallica black album sold with like 20 million copies in in america so those are 20 like you tell me that's the only heavy fan they like yeah. it's like no those are potential heavy music fans out there but they're not i feel like they're not being catered to, you know, and you have so many bands in the underground that kind of refuse to reach out. You know, it's like either, you know, it's either, and there's a divide. It's either it's the heaviest and craziest and most extreme thing that is only specifically trying to get these particular small subset of fans or it's straight, straight up syrupy, poppy radio rock that is going over here and there's nothing. And to me, that's why a band like Five Finger or Volvi cuts through because it's it covers both angles. It's heavy, but it's also catchy. It's like that, you know, and I'm I'm into that. I like that blend of being unapologetically heavy, but not forgetting to have a hook or not forgetting to have something that even a regular person can grasp onto. I think you can achieve that. That's what Pantera did. That's what Tool did. That's what Rage Against the Machine did, you know? And... Bands just, I don't know. I don't know if it's it's a lack of ambition or imagination, but it's it's definitely what I like personally. Well, if it you know if it if it brings new fans into rock and metal in general, you know I I'm, I'm for it. You know I agree. Yeah, I mean that's and that's why you know bands like Baby Metal are <laughs> are are having that because they're you know whether you like them or hate them, they're definitely doing something different. Yeah, they sure you know? are, <laughs> and they're getting opportunities a lot of other metal bands just wouldn't get because of the how you know out of the box it is and how just it's you know it's like a circus you know you're you know and and you know at the end of the day you know i say with the kind of gimmicky things it'll only take you so far it's like how good are are the songs you know another band ghost i think you can throw in there um where yeah they have this cool image and stuff but i went to the show People were singing along to every word, like 2,000 people. I mean, they got songs, you know. If they, so um, I don't really get wrapped up into, like, I don't know. There's, there's a very much a kind of a hater kind of paradigm and, and, and philosophy that people kind of 
kind of you know really tie their uh, their identity to it. I, I'm complete polar opposite. You know, even if I don't personally like something, you know, there's a good chance that it's you know if it's widening the net of you know that and I, and I think too. And in, in, in the other realm is looking at bands like Bring Me the Horizon and you know Motionless and White and um, uh, you know All Time Low and you know who are actually getting out to these young kids. You know. That's who we need, you know. Because I think on the, the the you know the metal metal side, we're very much wrapped up in historical uh, references. It's Black Sabbath, it's Motorhead, it's Judas Priest, and it's like if we're only focused on the past, we're gonna be a dying form. You know, we have to find ways to reach young people. You know, so yeah, we got to get them picking up guitars, man. Yeah, I mean, we had a little resurgence with Guitar Hero and Rock Band, and yeah. that there was a big up uptick in um, in in instrument sales, but that was kind of a little bubble, and now that's kind of decreased. Um, and the truth is, there is you know when it comes to a lot of the mainstream, there's there's not a lot of guitars. It's becoming less guitar based. It's becoming less real instrument based. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know. You know, let's, let's not get too scared, but you know, it's definitely concerning. You know, it's it's. I don't want to live in a world that's all computer music. You know, personally, <laughs> no you know, I, I, I want you know, I want the humanity of of uh, musical expression to still be there. Especially, you know, it's one thing for me to be great at guitar, you to be great at drums, you to be great at singing. It's another thing for actually us to work together as a unit. Um, you know, I hope that never gets lost. Yeah. Well, you kind of touched on something else I wanted to bring up. I remember a year or two ago, you wrote an article about that we need to stop the civil war and metal. Mm-hmm. And that kind of ties into what we were just talking about. Do you think that's something that could ever really happen? Because a lot of people are just kind of stuck in their ways of, I hate this, I love this. Well, I you know, the, it's funny. I think you can find a through line with that and, and, and as a media thing, right? So that same type of media tactic is predominant in music, but it's more so predominant in politics and sports, right? So if I'm a sports writer or I'm a politics writer, the way I get the most attention is by saying the craziest and usually divisive thing, right? Yeah. So that's, because the thing is, the way you make money now is by clicks by advertising, so it's so attention has become the most valuable commodity, right? How many eyeballs you have on you, and and the thing is, a moderating, well balanced, kind of pleasant and respectful article doesn't get no one gives a shit. But if you say something crazy, you know, if it's like you know the head of your article is you know Chad Kroger should eat a dick. <laughs> you know, on, on spinmagazine.com, yeah. then that's going to get, you know, it, you know, so that's what I kind of noticed is I think, you know, the commentary of that article was that you don't, you know, the underground blogosphere for metal, you know, I get it. Like you need to have your villain in your now in your world, right? Because what they're doing is they're in niche they're, they're a niche market, right? There's no blog for the five finger death punches and the skillets and the, you know, shine downs. Like, 
the people that are buying those records are just regular Joes. They're not, you know, they're not the connoisseurs in the same way that underground, more kind of artistically based music and culture is ingrained in. But it's like this thing of, well, we're the, you know, we know what good good music is, and we're very much, you know, and those are my friends. Like, so I'm, I, you know, you know, I'll, I've had this this debate with them, and I did. I got on. I, I got on the, the Metal Sucks show and, and had a, a debate with uh, um, Ben from, from Metal Sucks and, and, and talked about this where, you know, the big difference between me and them is I'm in a band and I play with bands and I know these guys. Like, they, like I can't, you know, it's, you know they, don't, they don't have that relationship. So they can shit on David Draymond. They can <laughs> yeah. shit on Dave Mustaine. Because they don't have to go and look these people in the eye, yeah. You know, um, but I do, and I and and so it's it's a, I'm in a different place, and I totally get that. But you know, at, you know, the, the general point is that even though, but everyone's looking at their best interest, which is they run a website, they're trying to maximize the reach and the profits, and also maintain their identity, right? Because it, you know. If your metal sucks and your brand is well, we like we think this is the standard of music that is good. We also have to call it out when we think it's not good, because if you just say everything's good, then how much credibility do you have? Yeah. So I, I get that angle. Like I think that's fine, um, but at the same time, if the if the whole point is we're gonna shit on anyone who's big, we're gonna we're gonna shit on anyone who's selling records. It's like well, you should kind of shit like, you know, what's the point of getting successful if like you you're just gonna hate on everyone? And I th- and I think there's that thing. It's almost like the more popular you are, it's almost proof that you suck or that you're you sold out. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it, it's like an invalidator of your credibility. And but then again, to me, that kind of dilutes what credibility is. It's like credible to who? To you? Because I don't know what the how do we. You know, because some people say, well, I know my shit is good because we sold this many records. That doesn't necessarily work either. It's like McDonald's sells the best, most hamburgers. Do they make the best hamburger? <laughs> no. Probably not, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so like these metrics about what is good, what is not good. But, but, what I'm, but I think, you know, everyone's kind of looking at their own corner, but I'm looking at the big picture. It's like, how does metal and heavy music stay relevant in pop culture and i think right now that we there is not much relevance unless you're metallica mm-hmm. you know um that's pretty much it other than that we're kind of on the outside looking in and i don't want to be disrespected i don't want to be looked at as a second class citizen well i mean that's something me and him have talked about before too you mentioned metallica selling albums earlier and we just went to the show the other day yeah at cowboy stadium and there's like 60 70,000 people there. I went and saw Guns N' Roses last year, the same amount of people. Like, who are these people that aren't going to other shows, you know? Well, I well, I think, listen, I think in many ways, you have to understand that Metallica and Guns N' Roses were also doing 70,000 people back in 1992. Yeah. You know, they're, um, and I think a lot of those people, they're not, listen, there's going to be people like me and maybe like you guys who, yeah, we're going to go to four, five, six, seven shows a month. But some people, they're, you know, they're only going to go to two or three shows a year. 
You know, they're going to go to Mayhem Fest. They're going to go see Slayer. They're going to go see, um, they're going to go see Metallica. They're going to, you know, they're going to go see Five Feet. Like, they're, it's kind of, you know, it's, it is what it is, you know what I mean? And not everyone's going to get to that level because those are more like what we call like a casual fan. You know, not everyone is obsessed with metal. Like some you know, people just have, you know, so it's, um, there's, there really only is so much bandwidth for that. But if you look at the broad numbers, I mean, they, uh, they sold more concert tickets last year in America than at any time in history. So people want to go to live shows. People want live experiences um, because there's less revenue on the record sales side of things, there are more bands on tour. People are trying to kind of extrapolate more uh, revenue from that source. So there is an issue there where you kind of have the lower middle class fighting over crumbs where, you know, the Lady Gaga's and the Taylor Swift's and Bruno Mars and the Metallica's, they're, they're just fine. Their shows are always going to be sold out. You know, there's no there's no problem there. So it's um, you know, I I don't know how to get there, but I think when something does cut through and it's interesting and it's new and it's it's heavy, but it has because to me, like you can, I look at a band like Ghost. Are they a rock band? Are they a metal band? Yeah. I don't know, but they're fucking dark. All the lyrics are about Satan. They're you know, it's it's catchy but, as hell. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it it you know, people will look at that band's success who don't like them and try and discredit it, right? Yeah. And say, oh, they're, they have a gimmick, or, oh, well, it's, it's, you know, it's like, instead of saying, no, they actually are doing, like, it's kind of hard to bullshit metalheads. I, like, I think, because you look at it, look at the band when they put out a shit record, it doesn't do well. Yeah. People don't like it. They, you know, they don't, you know, very few bands are kind of, um, you know, immune from that, and then when you do make a good record, they come back. You know, it's like look at those those couple Megadeth records, like thirteen, and like there people didn't give a shit. The shows weren't. Like, then they put out the new record, just told you all of a sudden record sales are way up. Oh, yeah. Like you know, ticket sales. Like that's at the end of the day, like like you, you kind of have to give people credit that when something cuts through, like a ball beat or a ghost, they're doing something interesting. They're providing something that is not there in the marketplace. Well, changing the subject a little, um, your collaboration that you did with Body Count, This Is Why We Ride, mm -hmm. like, how did that come about? Is this something you guys had talked about working together before, or did they just approach you? Um, so I was approached by the A&R guy at Century Media, um, Mike Gitter, and with that particular album, they were actually taking submissions from a handful of uh, prominent players and, and, and people that could write. So uh, like Billy from Biohazard wrote a track and uh, Clint from Seven Dust, I believe, wrote a song. So oh, wow. they were kind of going for like heavy hitters, people that, they, that knew they could contribute. Um, and so I got I got a call, I have a, a relationship with Mike and I pretty much, you know, I, I you know, I, I didn't know if they would take, take my song. So I just, I spent like a week and I just like, I listened to the latest album and I listened to the original album. And I was like, let me try and find something kind of in between this. And that's kind of what I came up with. And they, you know, I, I they cut out, like I kind of had this like thrashy, almost like, like upbeat, like terror, like something like real kind of hardcore uh, bridge, which they ended up not using. But the, 
the bulk of the song is from my pretty much my original idea. So I didn't hear it or know that I even made the record till I got like an email that had the song and it was like, oh shit, I see singing on my wrist. I couldn't I couldn't believe it then. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was just me. It was kind of like, all right, here's a shot. Work on it, send it out, and see what happens. And I ended up be- being there. So it's uh, it's pretty amazing, man. It's you know, I hope more opportunities like that present themselves. I, I I love that challenge of kind of writing in someone else's voice. You know, even though at the end of the you're gonna sound like you, but it but it is kind of it is a, a a cool thing. Especially, I mean, that's that's legendary, man. You know. Yeah, yeah. Are, do you do you kind of seek uh, that stuff out, writing for other people, or it just it just kind of happened that way? Um, you know, it, it depends on, you know, sometimes it's, it's back and forth because I, mm-hmm. um, Jamie Josta, I wrote, you know, a song for his solo band, Josta. And so that I, I, I think he like reached out to me, but then sometimes I'm like, Hey man, you need any, you know, so sometimes it goes both ways, but I think at the, ultimately it's, you know, you have to know there's an opportunity to even reach out about mm-hmm. something. You know, you don't, you don't always know when there's, so I think nine times out of 10, someone's going to hit you up if you have that kind of a reputation and people think you can contribute. But I hope more things like that come to, you know, come past my way. Yeah. Would you like the challenge of writing something outside of heavy metal or hard rock, like something pop or anything like that? You know, I don't, really have a lot of because the thing with pop like you really need to have like studio chops you know and really kind of understand especially now because it's mostly um a lot of that stuff is all kind of in the box with plugins and drum programs and synths and you know it's it's not as much live instrumentation um and it's you know i even for you know when i started i was just a metal guitar player then around 2010, I started playing with this cover band that was doing rock stuff. So we were doing like Living Color and No Doubt, Led Zeppelin and Incubus. And even that was a big challenge to kind of transition to becoming even just a rock metal guitar, you know, kind of add the, that, those rock chops. And that's been the whole thing. So, you know, I'm kind of working backwards. Like kind of, I think my next thing I want to tackle is more like funk style guitar, rhythm guitar, like kind of, um, uh, you know, like, like, like the new, what's that record? Like the last, the last like Dash Punk record. Yeah. It was like uh, Niles Rogers played all the guitar in there. Like I'm really, really into that kind of guitar playing. So I think it's, I've tried to do some stuff like that, like kind of playing with some friends doing it. And it's, it's a big challenge for me. So that's like, I'm kind of adding one piece at a time. So I'm not uh, classically trained. I didn't go to music school, so I don't have a jazz background. I don't have a classical background. I've kind of, I learned through learning other metal songs. And, and then when I started teaching guitar, um, more full time around 2012, 2013, that's when I start. I went and, uh, did more background learning theory and cause I had to teach it. So I had to kind of understand it, you know? So I have some very, basic and rudimentary uh, theoretical knowledge, um, which is helpful. It's actually, you know, it's, it's kind of annoying that I'm just, <laughs> I was learning that stuff, you know, when I was in my 30s, because uh, it's it definitely is super helpful when, you know, you're dealing with uh, composition and things like that. Yeah. Well, you did that tour filling in for Darkest Hour. Is that something that if a, a band like that asks you to join, would you be willing to do that? Or are you 
focused on what you're doing with Vegas Nerve and Bad Wolves? I mean, it would really have to be an exceptional opportunity, uh, to be honest. You know, um, I'm, you know, I, I think it's all about, because the thing is when you're joining an established band, you, you kind of know what it is, you know. But I think I like the idea, especially like Bad Wolves, you look at it and you're like, wow, this is, this has kind of a really high ceiling. There's no telling what it could do. Same with Vegas Nerve. That's why I kind of like the idea of being in a rock band where you can kind of do anything that you can kind of age with it. You know, it, you know, whereas like, um, you know, joining like a band like Darkest Hour, which is an amazing band, you know, that's their thing. And you're kind of always joining someone else's thing. You know, it'd have to be a very, very unique opportunity or something like that to happen. So I mean, never, never say never, but right now I'm really committed to the projects I'm working on now. And even with this, like with Vegas Nerve, more likely, like I said, it's probably going to go on the back burner while, you know, we kind of go through this bad wolf cycle, you know, um, and that's okay. Yeah. Well, well, uh, I, I wanted, I listened to, uh, your, um, fan questions episode of your X-Men podcast. And, and I really like how you, I mean, you politely kind of called the guy out, you know, asking the cliche questions like influence and stuff. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. It's we try to stay away from those questions, and uh, you know, um, how do you kind of handle those, and how do you try to in your own podcast? How do you try to keep it fresh and not ask the same old stuff? Well, I mean, uh, the thing that's cool about my show makes it a little bit different than many of the other uh, music podcasts out there. Is I have a very particular theme okay. and arc that I'm going for. So there are certain, you know, I have an individual on. On my show, it's where were you, where'd you go next, where are you now, and then filling those gaps about not only how you got to those places, but how you felt about it. Like The thing that's really important to me, it's kind of like this emotional core of, all right, this happened, but what, did you, what, what were you going through internally? You know, what, you know, what did that, and I think... A lot of people, they think, you know, like a band ends, right? Like, let's say that was like a movie, right? Like, like you watch a movie, Rockstar, and it's like the end of the movie, and he, like, walks off the stage, and, you know, he's got his guitar on his back, and he's, like, you know, hitchhiking. And it's like, but that ain't the end of his story, man. That dude had to go back to Ohio and go work at Waffle House or some shit, <laughs> you know? Like, he had to go, you know, cut lawns or that's – but to me, that's the interesting thing. It's not, oh – I left this and I was just completely fine. And it's like, no, man, that the, when you do something for a long time, especially if it has a certain amount of success and becomes part of your identity and that changes, there's a lot of, you know, stuff, psychological stuff that is, that is difficult. It's tough to deal with, yeah. you know, that's what, I, you know, and you know, that's what inspired me to do a lot of the writing I did about what I was going through and I noticed how people really connected to that, is that honesty and like saying, hey, I'm going through a rough time. I'm 30 something years old and I don't know how to be an adult. I don't, you know, I just got to, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to live, how to, you know, and, but I'm not the only one that's happened to, you know, so that's really, you know, so I, I have an angle and even though people, other people touch it, you know, and I'm you know, when they'll, you know, they'll talk to, someone who just left the band and they'll, you know, they'll tell them their, their story, you know, but that's my particular angle, you know, and then every now and again, I'll have certain guests where we'll have a subject matter 
um, that isn't per se the, their personal X-Men story. Like I had Phil Labonte on, and we just did an all-politics episode right before the, <laughs> the, um, uh, the election. Or I had writer on to talk about this new wave American heavy metal article. He wrote Andrew uh, Zalucki. So, you know, and I, I kind of want to do a little more of that. Like I think next week, me and my buddies are going to do an interest in all NBA to kind of wrap up the season, talk about, you know, uh, what's going on with that. So kind of want to mix, mix that up, but I'm, I'm such a fan of podcasts yeah. that it's really important for me to try and do something different. Cause here's the truth. If I'm, if I have the show and I feel like it's stale and I'm not, bringing something to the marketplace that's not unique, I really don't see a reason why to do it. You know, it's got to be something that people come to this and they get that thing that is only there, you know? Yeah. Well, looking back on your time with God Forbid, what are your best memories? Is it the catalog you guys put together or is it the touring? Well, I mean, listen, I, I think with God Forbid, the catalog is... You know, it's one of those things that every now and again, like, I'll hear a song. Like, it's kind of a weird thing when you haven't heard a song. When you hear a, you're hearing a song, like, in the distance, maybe, or something, you're like, you don't, you're like, who is that? <laughs> you're like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And then you realize, oh, that's, that's, that's us, you know. Um, you know, I think with Godfit, I don't know if we ever made, like, that album that, like, changed the game or, or anything, you know. Um, but we were always... A solid B plus. <laughs> I feel like, like I, I, I feel like there's no, no, there's no record sucks. You know, maybe outside of our first EP, um, every record for that moment in time, I think was us really landing on the table and doing the best we could. Um, and I think there's a lot there. And I, you know, to me, you know, the band when it was really focused. And our ambitions were were set high, and we, we had a lot of confidence, you know, probably from that, like, 2004 to 2006 range. As a live band, I think we were as good as anybody. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, and that, you know, the thing I'm really proud of was that, you know, we, we did have the same five guys for 12 years. And, and there was a personality, and there was a, you know, it was a family environment, you know. And that's, you know, that's the thing I probably missed the most is just that, you know, and that was like me. I had like went into this kind of post uh, breakup depression a little bit after that. You know, just about you know feeling displaced in terms of I don't have that family unit. I don't have that thing. You know, and that's hard. You know, some people whether that's your actual family, you start a family, or like you know, whatever, you on a sports team mm -hmm. and those were my guys or you in the military and those are my guys or whatever, just having that, that um, you know, maybe it's a little different for men, you know, maybe we kind of need that male camaraderie and the bonding and the, all, all that stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but it was, um, you know, it was, there was definitely a special moment in time. And, and listen, the thing about now is engaging in the world and every other day I meet someone or I get a message just telling me how much the band meant to them. It's like, you know you made an impact, and I have no idea what that means. You know, because people say, oh, you guys are really big, or you were famous. I, I don't know what that means tangibly. You know, like, I don't know what I can do with that. But at least in those moments, those people who do, do care uh, seem to really, really care. So that, and that's something that kind of, 
is the gift that keeps giving. You know, it's something that, that I'm still experiencing now. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I saw you uh, when you did one of those shows uh, filling in for Mark Morton and I, I know that Metallica is like one of your favorite bands. Uh, they're my favorite band. They're not favorite. one of them. They're, they're <laughs> the, number one. Hey, mine too. Mine too. Uh, do you have any cool stories? Or I mean, just that had to be just such a trip. Um, there's a couple. I mean, there's a, a couple stories from that man. I remember. So the first day of the tour, we're in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was I just been, had went through a breakup before that, like. And I was like, I was basically going through like a nervous breakdown kind of like right before I had to do this, the biggest gig of my life. And so I'm just a mess, you know, uh, going up to this because I'm nervous about the actual show and having to play Lamb of God songs in front of 20,000 people. But I'm also just like a wreck because I'm like, I just got broken up with. So it's first day of tour. I'm just like, just stomach can't eat anything. You know, I'm in like the the catering room, and I see Kirk Hammett, I see Rob Trujillo. I'm like, oh my god! I'm just like, I'm freaking out, right? <laughs> and then Lemmy is there that day. So if you guys have seen the Lemmy documentary, there's uh, oh. there's a there's a performance at the end with him playing with Metallica. Yeah, that was that show. Oh wow! Yeah. So there's like a dressing room that says Lemmy on it, and I'm just like, I can't. You know, there's a sushi chef at catering. Right, who just make you your own sushi? I'm just like, this is I can't. Have, no, Jet Hetfield walks in the dressing room and he's like six four, and it's like you you, you want to salute him, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's like that's a general, you know. Um, I'm freaking out, right? And then we're getting ready to play, and the uh, the intro music is playing, and I'm just like, and I swear, like I said, most nervous I've ever been in my life, and like. And they had that bad ass. It was the music from from Wrath. They had that cool, like you know, acoustic thing. Yeah. And right when we're getting ready to go out there, Chris Adler comes to me. And he's like, "Hey man, don't worry about it. Just put on a good show." <laughs> <laughs> and, that, that, and, and literally in that moment, it like, and then like just walking out there. It just kind of I was like, oh, this is what I do. Like, it's just a show. Like, just I've been doing this forever, and I just went out there and I did like he said. And I just rocked out yeah. and just went for it. And then pretty much from then, I wasn't I wasn't really nervous at all. Kind of went away, you know, just being. But I mean, I think you're so jacked up for a moment like that. And the thing that's kind of crazy about that because they play in the center of the arena. When you go out there, it's like a boxer, right? Like yeah. you go through the curtain. And then there's people all on the sides, and you're clapping. It's like that. So it's a completely different feeling when you normally enter a stage. It's a very, it's more dramatic, you know. It's uh, so that, that I think that's probably the one of the, one of the coolest ones. It's kind of like, you know, freaking out and realizing it's going to be okay. Yeah. And then it was, and then it was awesome. And I, then I had a blast, you know. And I, but it, but it's, it's a teachable moment in that. I think some things are so big you can't you almost can't imagine doing it until you're doing it. Yeah. You know? At least for me at that, at that time, you know, and that and that opened up a whole lot of possibilities to say, hey, I can do this. I you know, so I so and since then I've filled in for other bands and done other things and it's um you know, definitely once you have that moment of fear and you get through it, you realize you can you know, you can pretty much do anything. Awesome. Definitely. Well man, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. 
Of course. Thanks for having me as well. Yeah, thank you. Definitely. Any of my stuff, you know, dotcoil.net. You can uh, follow my stuff and at dotcoil, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. All right, man. Mm-hmm. You guys be good. I like, I like that, uh, that thunder, that OKC. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know. You think Westbrook's going to win the MVP? No. He's going to win it, right? <laughs> no, I think he's going to win <laughs> I don't have much hope for the future. You know, I'm scared he's going to be gone. So <laughs> I have a dream in my heart is that one day Westbrook and Anthony Davis will end up on the same team. Like, I, no, There's no reason why it should happen, but I just imagine that. Like, It'll just be the craziest thing. Like Those just two freaks. Right. Where do you think you think Paul George is going to the Lakers? I don't know. Um, I feel like they have the upper hand, but it's because the thing is, remember, it's all about the Indiana has all the chips as far as where he'll end up now. Because the way they're concerned, they're like, all right, he's leaving the year, so they're probably going to trade him. What's the bet? What's the most they can get? You know, and they can probably get the most from the Lakers because the Lakers are guaranteed to re sign him. Um, but if you're the Lakers, why are you going to give up a bunch of shit if you can just sign him? Oh, that's so, true, yeah. So, but if I'm them, it's like if I can get if I can get Kevin Love and he signed to 2020, why not? Or do they want young? They want young dudes and picks, you know. Which, but if you're a team and you can only rent them for a year, why are you going to give up picks? Right. Yeah. True. Now, <laughs> apparently, they called asking for play Clay Thompson. I heard. Wow, I hadn't seen that. Yeah, <laughs> but. You know, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But I think it's already interesting. Everyone's getting trained. I love it. I love all the trades. Yeah. <laughs> all right, fellas. Cool, you, you be good. You have a good night. And uh, thanks again. There you go. Doc Coyle, Vegas Nerve, Bad Wolves, formerly of God Forbid. Hopefully, futurely of God Forbid. I've used that word futurely again. I keep doing that. Futurely. <laughs> hey, you know what? Let's not go back on the past. Let's look to the future. Hey, I just said hopefully futurely. Well, one day they... You never know. One day they do it. You know, uh, cool. But I'm, I'm excited for his new stuff. You yeah, know, me too. And his new projects. Me too. Okay. Okay, good. Be sure and check both those <laughs> bands out. Check out the X-Man podcast. That's what you need to do. It's definitely what you need to do. Yeah. Be sure and check us out. SoundCloud.com backslash Thunder Dash Underground has all the previous episodes on there. We're also on YouTube at the Thunder Underground. You can hear us every Monday night on 102.7 WSNR. We stream there every Monday at 7 p.m. Central, 102.7 WSNR.com. And then we're also on, of course, Facebook and Twitter. But 132 previous episodes we've had on guys from oh, Superjoint. Yeah. Yeah. Super, a couple guys from Superjoint. We had on Jimmy Bauer, who, of course, was in Down and I Hate God as well. Speaking of Down, we had on Kirk Winstein from Crowbar. That's right. Phil Soma was on his podcast for about 27 seconds. I was about to say, when we interviewed Jimmy Bauer, somebody, <laughs> a certain somebody made a tiny little guest, a tiny little guest spot. Yeah. Like a 15 second long. And who was that? That's Phil. Phil and Selmo. I mean, no. look, <laughs> I never died before. And his pepper's <laughs> hair. It's so funny. Fucking <laughs> Never dies his hair. He dyes his hair. Happy Fields. That rule. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we've had guys from He is Legend, uh, Miss May I. Uh, we've had, you know, uh, Eddie Trunk. Eddie Trunk was on here. Yeah. I mean, come on. Uh, 
Seven Dust, Avatar, yeah, Drowning right. Pool, Shine Down, Battle Cross. We've had a bunch of guys from the 80s rock stuff like Warrant, Great White, Europe, Bullet Tri Boys. Trickster. Yeah, Lillian Axe, Taiketo. Then we've had on guys from, man, I'm just drawing a blank. Bruce Kulick. Yeah. Gene Simmons. These guys were from a band called Kiss. If you didn't know. So, yeah, you know, we've had a few people on. Give a listen. We've also had some great local guys, Screaming Red Mutinies, Severmind, Less Than Zero, a Grind. We just had Grind on an episode. Less Than Zero. Less, did I say Less Than Zero? Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> Fuck me. I'm leaving that on because that's awesome. You're probably, yeah, Less <laughs> Than Human. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I'm not even that drunk yet. God, that's how, that's how you know I'm old. Right. But yeah, Sorry, guys. I love you less than human. They know you love them. Look us up. Follow us. There's tons of stuff to check out there. We've got stuff coming with two of the members of 3D In Your Face. Yes. They're making their return to the podcast. Two of the members from Grind. Yes. Making their return to the podcast. And then we've got an episode coming up with Fist of Rage that is a joint episode with Porch Talk. That's going to be amazing. So this is the first official Porch Talk Thunder Underground collaboration. Joint whatever you want to call it. It's called Under under the Porch. Under the Porch. I no, like I it. I don't know. Sorry. Hey, you know what? It was just off the top of my head and that didn't work out. That's fine. I'm going to stop talking because I already put my foot in my mouth once. <laughs> Thunder Porch. No, that's stupid too. I don't know. We'll figure out something. Thunder Talk? There you go. Under Talk. <laughs> But yeah, the two of us with the two of them and all of Fist of Rage. So this has got yeah. uh, craziness written all over it. It does, and it's probably going to be the most drunken thing you've seen or heard this year. I can already just, I can call it right now. Right. Yeah, our episode of Fist of Rage last year was yep. one of the funnier ones, in my opinion, that we've ever done. So uh, I'm, you can I'm gonna... imagine the four of those with, you know, Chris and Laura and us. It's just going to be a little... A little manic, I think. I'm going to have my Uber ready. <laughs> right. My Uber app. We're ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Be looking for that here in the next few weeks as well. Thanks for listening, and until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. Thunder Underground.